You're listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that are not new. I'm your host, Kelly Jensen, and this is the August 11th, 2023 edition. One of the ways that I decide which books I'm going to talk about on these episodes is by looking through old notes that I have kept from previous All the Books podcasts and old HeyYA podcasts. And when I was looking through the titles from the Bowels of 2020, I found an interesting theme emerge, which is women writing about space. As somebody who loves space and has been lucky enough to see Saturn through a telescope at our local observatory around this time of year, I figured, why not get a little space nerdy this week? You're going to get a nice mix of titles, including a work of science fiction, a middle grade novel, and a nonfiction exploration of life in space that is also part memoir. But before flying high into our show, what do S.A. Cosby, Khalid Husseini, Sarah Bakewell, and Yaden Israel have in common? They've been guests on Book Riot's newest podcast, First Edition, where BookRiot.com co-founder Jeff O'Neill explores the wide bookish world. Subscribe to hear them and stay to hear Book Riot editors pick the It Book of the Month. To subscribe, simply search First Edition in your podcast player of choice. So we're going to start with Goldilocks by Laura Lamb. The story starts 30 years after the Atalanta took five pioneering women to space in hopes of settling a faraway planet named Cavendish. Naomi, one of the Atalanta Five, is finally telling her story, and it begins with Grand Theft Spaceship. Yes, the spaceship was stolen, and ends with Earth's humans falling victim to a pandemic that may have been started purposefully. Naomi, who was raised by Valerie Black after the deaths of her mother and father, is deeply in love with the smart woman who invites her to be among the five women who will travel to the new planet in order to start a new world, one that is free of the flaws plaguing Earth. Right now, women's rights have been decimated, the environment is collapsing, and the reality is there aren't more than a dozen few quote-unquote good years left for it. Naomi, along with the other women, embark on a journey without permission from the government, but they believe in their heart of hearts that they're doing the right thing by taking this journey. Then Naomi finds out she's pregnant, and the father is one of the people who might be able to help change the course of the future of planet Earth. It won't come easy, of course, and it won't come without the power of these women to steer the ship right. This is a immersive and dark book about what leadership is and what leadership is not. Lamb's writing is captivating and engrossing, and it evokes a scarily close-to-home scenario of a global pandemic destroying the planet in conjunction with human consumption, climate change, and the revoking of liberties from women across the globe. What sounds like will be an ultimate utopian setting at Cavendish, though, really isn't. Um, Instead, the story takes a ton of twists and turns that are surprising and ultimately challenge what it is these women perceive to be good and flawed about human nature. When you are destined to start something new, do you go for it? Do you burn down the past and try to forget it? Or do you learn from the past and build with the materials you have at hand to try to do better? Lamb's standalone science fiction novel grapples with a lot of big questions, but does so in a really compelling and interesting way. Naomi is a great character, and all the motives of the women on board are parsed out just well enough to keep it clear that not everybody on board has each other's best interests in mind. We don't even know if they will make it to Cavendish and create the world that they really hope to envision. The book itself was inspired by the Mercury 13, where a group of women went through the same battery of tests that men who want to join NASA did. 
while the privately funded group who ran these tests found them successful, this never ended up being a NASA program. No mission was taken, and none of the women on this particular mission ever went to space. I'm glad that their legacy could inspire such an awesome novel and encourage people to learn the history from which this book is inspired as well. That is Goldilocks by Laura Lamb. We're going to follow that up with We Dream of Space by Erin Entrada Kelly. So this book, space plays a role. It's a middle grade novel, but go in knowing that this is a contemporary realistic read and not science fiction. You're going to get space, but maybe not in the way that you anticipate. So Bird and Fitch, Bird is short for Bernadette, and Fitch is short for Pitch a Fit, are twins. Their older brother, Cash, has been having a hard time at school, and despite being chronologically older than them, he's in seventh grade just like they are. Early in the story, things begin to spiral as Cash breaks his wrists and loses any and all interests in school again, threatening the chance he might have to move on to the next grade. Fitch likes to spend his free time at the local arcade, winning a game that has been really unpopular with his peers, but which he defends to the death as a great game. He's got a temper that he can't control or understand, and it comes out at really inopportune times. Bird dreams of being the first female space commander, and she is absolutely fascinated with machinery, which is something that we see via her art in the book. But Bird worries she's being overlooked again and again, disappearing between her two brothers who take a lot of the attention of their parents. Home life isn't especially great. Mom and dad have a rocky relationship, which comes out again and again in unsettling ways. It impacts each of the kids, and the only way that the siblings are hanging on is through their shared science teacher who has applied for the teacher in space program, but didn't get accepted. Fitch and Cash are invested, but not quite as much as Bird is, and it's this teacher in space which kind of keep all the threads of this story together. It's a slice of life book that is aching and it's hard. And when the Challenger launches, this book is set in 1986, all of the pain built up in each of the siblings finally explodes. Bird feels like her dreams are falling apart and she's feeling just incredible loneliness through all of this. Fitch has an extremely violent outburst in class because of how he's been bullied and also because of how much he's packed in from home, how much his home life is really impacting him. And Cash continues to withdraw, knowing that he can't play basketball this year because of his grades, and now he's got this broken bone, so things are just, like, going from bad to worse for him. On a personal note for this one, uh, the Challenger explosion happened when I was two, so I don't remember it, but I do remember my mom talking about it when it happened, and this is a story she tells me periodically. It's, like, one that she really, really remembers historically. And this book captures that era without being nostalgic for the 1980s. It's a contemporary read in terms of how it approaches family challenges without attempting to make it sound as if family problems weren't common then. They were. Uh, Readers who want feelings-heavy books will love this one, and all the characters are compelling and complex and sympathetic, and they all experience those really painful moments of what it is to be in seventh grade. First crushes, not being seen as a whole person, but rather parts of a person. And there's a family that's shifting and fractured and changing. And there's this desire to be anyone and anywhere else than in this moment. It's a really, really moving, compelling book. No wonder it's an award winner. There's a really great thread in the story about interracial dating that, while it's really small, is a powerful reminder 
of the role parents can play in a young person's perceptions of themselves and others, as well as a reminder that even in the mid-1980s, interracial relationships were even more fraught than they can be now. This one is going to require you to have some tissues, so grab those, but know that in addition to maybe shedding one or two here, you're going to really, really love these characters. And that is We Dream of Space by Erin Entrada Kelly. And I'm going to wrap up this episode with a nonfiction book, The Sirens of Mars, Searching for Life on Another World by Sarah Stewart Johnson. Decided to write this book because she saw a woman talking about her work in researching life on Mars and Johnson was inspired to pursue a similar career in astronomy. And for me, it was seeing a woman's name attached to a book like this that made me want to pick it up. As the book explores, so much of planetary science has been done by men, and specifically white men, seeing a woman writing about it in an approachable and kind of a hybrid between scholarly and not scholarly manner just really stood out to me. So the book explores the history of science as it relates to our understanding of our closest planetary neighbor, Mars. It's chronological from about the 1950s until now, but it goes much, much further back than that, digging into what made seeking out life in other worlds outside of our own so captivating, and the where's, why's, and how's of the beliefs people had throughout time about space. Woven into the history and the major players in Marge, Mars exploration is Johnson's own memoir of growing fond of this kind of research. And it's this that made me so captivated by the book. It's got heavy research, but it's coupled with this really human aspect of why. Why are scientists and the average person obsessed with this idea of life on Mars? What does life mean anyway? And what if what life is isn't necessarily something that we want it to be? The book explores beliefs ranging from those of Percival Lowell, who believed in a utopian society existing on Mars, to Carl Sagan and the research he did, and the ultimate disappointment he and others felt when his theories didn't align with what physical evidence was found until after his death, to Auden Dolphus, who conducted astronomical research with stratospheric balloons. Johnson parallels all this research with the work she and other scientists are doing here on Earth, in some of the most remote and inhospitable places on Earth, including the dry valleys of Antarctica and the salt flats of Western Australia. And we tend to believe that it's water that proves life. But no water has ever been found on Mars, at least not the kind of water that we know of here on Earth. And so it's possible there exists this wholly different form of what water is to Mars. It's possible, too, that maybe water is not the standard sign of life either. This is a personal book as much as it's a universal book. And it was such a thought-provoking work about what life it is and what life might not be. Johnson, from what it sounds like, believes we are we have found life on Mars because it's not the life we think it is. But that's a really hard sell for a lot of readers. And that, for me, is kind of the heart of this book. What are the lines between scientific evidence and human belief? And what makes some things easy to understand and others easy to dismiss? For readers who love science and space and philosophy mixed smartly with memoir, you will want to pick up this book, which is The Sirens of Mars Searching for Life on Another World by Sarah Stewart Johnson. And with that, today's show comes to a close. All of the books mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much to our sponsor and to our audio editor, Jen Zink, and thank you to you for listening. 
For more recs at general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot in your podcast player of choice. You can find a list of books I mentioned today in the show notes by visiting bookriot.com slash all the books. And as a reminder, if you're a fan of all the books and all the backlists and you want to give us some love, you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, we appreciate your review and your review helps other book lovers find us. In the meantime, happy reading. Thank you.